directly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com Thought for the day. If a man dies, then another should live. That man's spirit shall eat at the emperor's table. Hello, Glory Seekers, and welcome to episode 85 of the Grimdark Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If you're joining us for the first time, you picked a good episode to do that on, because it's a day of big announcements, of big changes in the, the game systems that we cover. Uh, we're a podcast devoted to role-playing in the 41st millennium. For a long time, we've been following the games created by, originally, Games Workshop through Black Industries, and then Fantasy Flight Games. And uh, today, it's going to be a special show, whereas normally we would cover each of the systems one show at a time, and this would be a, an only war show. Instead, we are going to devote it to the news from today, or from, from this week, which is the Warhammer 40k RPG license has been picked up by Ulysses Games, uh, along with a friend of the show, Ross Watson, at the helm, yep. uh, as the lead RPG developer as well. Uh, so you know, we're talking all about that, all about that announcement, uh, all about other announcements happening with GW at the time, and, and let's start to speculate on the future of this gaming system, because I think it's a... It's a major turning point for us. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad that we kept the show going, despite you know the implication that the system we covered was dead. Because it's nice to know that uh, there's going to be some more life in the in the 40k RPG line. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So normally at the start of the show we talk about our own gaming experiences from the past fortnight. It's only actually been I think a week and a half since we last recorded, which is crazy given that we normally you know we've been going you know two months at a time between shows recently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but obviously with this big news, we couldn't wait to do it. Uh, it's actually also Gen Con week this week as well, so uh, Gen Con starts, we're actually recording this on Wednesday, Sydney time, and Gen Con starts Thursday, US time as well, so... Two days. Yeah, it's two days, effectively, Technically. and... So, exactly right, and there will actually be a, uh, a seminar at Gen Con by Ulysses Games as well. Now, we couldn't get to Gen Con this year, unfortunately, the stars didn't align, uh, but we do have friends of ours that are at Gen Con who we're hoping can get some juicy gossip for us. And uh, if you listen to the show in that Gen Con week, then also watch our Facebook page for any news that we find out and happy to share uh, with, with the group as well. Yep. Okay, so getting back to our, our gaming. So in that sort of week and a half we've had, what have we really had? We've just had... Well, you did a Mutant Chronicles game. That's true. I did a Mutant Chronicles and game, yes. And, and I, ran, I ran Numenera as well. Oh, yeah, so. Numenera. <laughs> Doesn't even count. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we did D&D. We had a dragon fight last night. We had basically our, our single... Well, our whole sort of three and a half hour session was a single dragon fight. encounter. I thought it went okay. I think, the I think actually bit... we kicked ass of the dragon. Yeah, and this is the thing. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with third ed D and D, but you've got this system in the game called challenge ratings. And we've said in the in the past that challenge ratings sort of ruined a lot of role players because everyone sort of started to feel that encounters should always be balanced after that, you know. But anyway, um, when you look at the challenge ratings, they govern how much experience your character gets after being an encounter. And at a certain point, you, your challenge rating gets so high that the game considers that an impossible fight to win. And so therefore you get zero XP from that fight. Uh, and so what our GM did was he worked out what is the highest level dragon he can put us up against. That, that still grants that still, get, XP. still grants us XP. That's it. And it was still 
I think, a bit of a cakewalk. It was a bit, but we knew we were coming up against a dragon. We'd prepared everything to fight yeah, a dragon. Yeah, that's true. We'd rested before the fight. Uh, you know, we were all ready to go. And so, yeah, I think the GM was a bit sort of despondent that that wasn't more of a challenging fight. But I have to say, despite the fact that we rested before the fight, we knew we were fighting a dragon, we'd prepared to fight a dragon, the fact that our mage decided to load up almost exclusively on fire spells still bewilders me somewhat. Oh, look, we've, we've, I mean, the person that plays a mage in our group has this big problem where when he comes up against a really big monster, he thinks the best thing to do is to use save or die spells. Yeah. You know, or, or, or save or be out, like, you know, try try to you know charm monsters and sort of stuff. And I was like, well, single opponents always have such a high... You know, save, save he, gets, he gets crappy whenever you know he uses these spells, and they never work because you know. Yeah. And, and, and the fact it was a red dragon didn't help as well. No, exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> and spell resistance, etc. But no, look, it was a good climactic fight. The GM was a bit sort of despondent that it wasn't more of a challenge, but I think that it's just an example of how the GMs let the group's gear get a bit out of whack. Yeah, you know, in my uh, opinion. So. Yeah, a bit. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. I, I think it's more of a lack of quality tactics. That's it, yeah. Should have opened with a breath weapon, taken to the air, we would have been screwed. <laughs> and so my, my new Monero game uh, was a bit of a dungeon crawl, despite the fact that that's sort of, that group I play with is a very sort of role-play heavy group. It was a bit of a dungeon crawl. I was running one of the sample modules from a book called The Devil's Spine, and it, it basically involved the players raiding a ancient tomb. And of course the tomb was full of death traps, you know, sort of such. And if you're familiar with New Monero, you know, although it's a sort of medieval setting, it has sort of things with technology as well, you know. So the first room they came across had um, things that fired crossbow bolts from holes in the wall, and the second room they went through had a um, spears that, that you know, came out when you stuck on pressure plates, and the next room had, like, crushing walls that would slam shut when people tried to pass through them and such. And then they got to the next room, which pretty much just had a rubber ball hanging from a rope on the ceiling, and that was the room was a dead end. And, you know, they spent for ages trying to work out what to do with like, you know, knocking, like kicking the rubber ball or, or hitting it or that sort of stuff. And it, it, it's basically like, it was like an elevator and we had to do was squeeze the rubber ball for it to actually move, you know, but this, this whole sort of rubber ball on a rope from the ceiling really caused the grip a whole bunch of consternation after all these death traps. It was really quite amusing. So, yeah, uh, that was it. Yeah. So and you mentioned on the, also the Mutant Chronicles game and the Mutant Chronicles game actually had a perfect example of timing where it basically one, because, I mean, Mutant Chronicles has horror elements with monsters as such, and the one of the players has had their first exposure to a monstrous creature in the setting, uh, but it happened to escape before any other other group members arrived, so, of course, everyone else thinks that player or that character is insane. And Yeah, uh, just, just gone off the deep end. Yeah, see, it was quite funny, anyway. Yeah, so, so that was our gaming. Uh, anyway, so we should get into the show. Uh, we'll do some regular news. We're not going to follow the regular show format. Do, we're not going to do uh, you know usual review and discussion and, and career. We're just going to talk about... The, the big news, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. So let's get into it. Command acknowledged accessing Imperial archives. Okay, so if you've been living under a rock recently, you might not have heard that there is a new uh, carrier of the 40k gaming license, uh, or role-playing license, I should say. So as you would have heard in our past shows, we've covered off that uh, Cubicle 7 was doing the fantasy line. Yep. And uh, actually, I'll say that a couple of weeks ago, uh, I actually went to a new gaming store in our area and was talking about the, the role-playing lines. And uh, the person in the gaming store said, said oh, there's going to be a fantasy and a 40k RPG coming next year. And I'm like, oh, they've well, announced the fantasy line. He's like, oh, no, no, I've heard they're definitely doing a 40k line as well. Yeah. He's actually an ex-GW guy as well himself, only recently left GW in Sydney. But uh, anyway, uh, then the next thing is I went back home again and I was looking at Drive-Thru RPG. 
So the 40k lines are still off the Drive Through RPG site, but I've still got them in my library, the ones I've previously bought. And you might recall that when Cubicle 7 first took on the license, it was sort of broken early by the fact that that was appearing as a publisher for the fantasy game lines. Yep. And I noticed that Ulysses Spieler was the um, publisher now for the 40k books on my Drive Through RPG library. So it was, I guess, a bit of forewarning before the actual announcement came out. But nothing could prepare us for the fact that yeah, you know, Ross Watson was also going to be lead developer as such. That was yep, such yep. A, a great bit of news. Yeah, especially since Rogue Trader really was a great book. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah that's it. So, I mean, and, and Ross was involved most heavily in Rogue Trader and Death Watch. Yeah. Yeah, so, and of course, I think that it's safe to say he was one of the sort of primary instigators behind the Storm Wardens, for example. So, yeah. yeah. So anyway, they were his baby. Yeah, that's it. Um, but uh, so, anyway, so there's a new edition of the game coming out. It's called. Warhammer 40k uh, Roth and Glory. So just to clarify, you know, we're going to call it Roth and Glory, given that the British pronunciation of W-R-A-T-H is Roth. And this is a, a British game, so we're sticking with that with that particular pronunciation. But anyway, so 40k Roth and Glory. Uh, there's limited information so far on the game, uh, but probably the, the main things to look at is there is a uh, FAQ. So they had a few questions in the FAQ. So first of all, they had... What is 40k roleplay Roth and Glory? And they said it's it's an officially licensed roleplaying game set in the 40k universe. They say how is it related to the eighth edition of the tabletop miniatures war game? And they say the events that are occurring in the Dark Imperium of the Warhammer 40k eighth edition for, uh, forms the central backdrop for Wrath and uh, Roth and Glory. Characters adventuring into the Dark Imperium witness firsthand the dire threat that the Great Rift brings to the galaxy. So as you can see, we've been talking in the past shows about bringing your roleplaying experience into eighth edition. And, and that's exactly what they've the, done. Yeah, the new setting is 8th edition. So so out of all the complaints that I've heard, uh, this is probably the one I've heard the most complaints about. A lot of people saying, you know, why do it in 8th edition, you know, which some people are calling the Age of Gulliman. Um, this always just gets me. It's one of those sort of fandom things that people go, oh, well, I, I prefer their old stuff to their new stuff sort of things. And yeah. you know what? At the end of the day, it, it's moved on. 8th edition is the new standard. Yep. It will continue. It's not going to go backwards. No. 9th edition will not be set before 8th edition. Whether yeah. you like it or not, it, things have changed and change will continue to go forward. Yeah. Look, we've spoken in the past about interest in a Horus Heresy era role-playing game or something. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day... And at the end of the, yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, the actual setting, you can play around with as you see fit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's going to have rules for things that you may not want to use. It might have Primaris... Marine rules, if you don't want to use them, don't use them. Use something else. Yep. That's it. Okay, the next question was, uh, what does it have to do with the Fantasy Flight Games RPGs? And they said, Roth and Glory is an entirely separate game line from Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, and the other RPGs developed by Fantasy Flight Games. So, straightforward, you know, new company, new approach. Yes, we've got the same person at the helm, but, you know, it's a new, it's a, it's a new take on it. Yeah. Uh, okay, what system does Roth and Glory use? They said here that Roth and Glory has a brand new game system involving dice pools of D6s to represent your character's abilities. Now, this is the one I've heard the most complaints about. Okay. I'm saying D6s doesn't feel like Warhammer. And we've spoken about it before. I think... Uh, yeah, I think a, ha- a handful of D6s feels like playing Warhammer, doesn't it? Like the, the, exactly. The I mean, but I mean, I know for a fact that when, um, when they were putting together Dark Heresy 2nd Edition, when they had a whiteboard and they were talking about all the things that make... A 40k game, and one of the things they said was percentile dice. Yeah, and now they're saying no, 
this new system's going D6s, which is a, a very different change from all previous editions of Warhammer. Yeah. Except for maybe the, the, the re- weird random dice of uh, Warhammer Fantasy, the last edition. Um, but, I mean, until I see the system, I'm not going to comment. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I, I could see that a pool of D6s as a game system would have more likelihood of picking up interest from existing 40k war gamers who don't roleplay than going to a, you know, polyhedral dice. Yeah, weird random dice turn some people off. And and I'm thinking about previous D6 systems I've played before. West End game Star Wars is a prime example. That's probably the most common one I played of a D6 system. And it worked fine. Yeah. You know, the wild dice mechanic I probably would have ditched. But other than that, I think it was a good system. Yeah, well, I don't notice also that... Um, so, uh, Ulysses Games uh, have a couple of old West End licenses as well. So, it seems that one of their major products is Torg, for example, which is an old you know, West End game system that was primarily... Exactly. So, so, I'm well, wondering so. how much of the system they're going to borrow from previous editions or if they're going to go completely new with something totally new we've never seen before just based around D6s. Yeah. And, you know, shouldn't be too hard. Yeah, I mean... We've heard in the past that uh, Games Workshop take quite an active role in the development of these games as well. You know, they have yeah. a, a person who represents GW's interests with the game companies, you know. So I can actually see that it's possible that some of the initial sort of guidelines may have come out of, of GW yeah. originally. So It's very possible. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so they said, what is the focus of the Wrath and Glory game line? Now, this one's interesting. It says, Wrath and Glory allows players to take on the roles of characters... From the Warhammer 40k setting, including intrepid agents of the Imperium Man and even some of the classic alien races that populate the galaxy. So, first off, one of the things we noticed about the old game lines was they were very specific segments of of the Imperium as such. So one was Agents of Inquisition, one was Road Traders, one was Space Marines and Death Watch, you know, etc. Agents of Chaos and, and Imperial Guard. Uh, and we'd even heard that although there'd been some desire to create a generic 40k role-playing system, was that GW at the time didn't want to have that. They wanted to have systems that were segmented. And even back to the old Black black Industries days, it was always the plan to have Dark Heresy, Road Trader, Death Watch. Yeah. Even before it went to the FFG line as well. Uh, so, a lot of people have observed that this one sounds like it's more of a cross-section of the setting, including the ability to use as it says, classic alien races. My question is, how classic? Yeah. Are we talking humans, elder, tau? Or are we talking, you know, classic as in the most common at the moment? Yeah. Or are we talking about classic, you know, human squats, zotes? No, I, no, mean, no. I mean, how classic uh, what, what I'm, what is I'm classic? Thinking, I'm thinking, like, humans, orcs, maybe elder. Yeah. You know, because we had, we had orc freebooters in Rogue yeah. Trader, you know. Uh, and, yeah, I know that there was always a desire to do a, you know, it was one of the sort of pitches that was made originally uh, before Black Crusade was could they do a an Eldar-focused game, for example, and yeah. they went with Black Crusade instead. De- but- definitely. And um, I have to say, we've if you have a look at the icon for, for Wrath and Glory, yeah. the, the, the image that they've put there, there's a very heavy chaos and imperial influence on that icon. Yeah, that's, true. that's true. And I think that this is going to be more of a sort of generic book, yep. and then they're going to have setting books that come off of it as expansions. Yeah. Sort of like the the way they did uh, White Wolf's New World of Darkness stuff. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Recently with a, a core book and then a vampire book, a werewolf book, but all coming off of a basic core system so that they are all compatible. And that's 
Really, I'd, I think one of the things that everyone wants, they want the games to actually be really compatible. Yeah, I, I'd like that. I think it's being a little bit optimistic. Uh, probably. But, yeah. but, you know, nothing wrong with some unbridled optimism when no, they announce a new true. game. That's exactly right, yeah. Okay, uh, then they've got one other first Wrath and Glory products. And uh, they said the game line begins with one core rulebook that contains everything you need to get started in the grim darkness of the far future. Last question, what else is on the horizon for Wrath and Glory? Future releases in the Wrath and Glory line include feature campaigns that revolve around distinct elements of the Warhammer 40k universe. Each campaign focuses on a different experience. So, there you go. Um, I think it's always funny, and I have to do this for work, is, is writing FAQs when there's when there's actually been no questions already, you know, yeah, like yeah, because no one knew that this was coming right, out. Yeah, how exactly how right, can yeah. there be frequently yeah, asked right. questions yeah, about this product? No one knows exists. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, because if it was, the most frequently asked question is always, "When's it coming out?" Yeah, yes. yeah. It always reminds me of like a, a, a scene maybe from a James Bond spoof type thing of, "Oh, we've got this secret agent doing this secret mission. Here's some frequently asked questions about what he's going to be doing." That's it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, so uh, uh, they just give us some examples there. There is actually a, I guess like a, uh, a a teaser page for the game now, which you can find through the Ulysses US website. Uh, realistically speaking, all you can do there is access the FAQ currently and sign up to receive notifications, basically yeah. about about the game as it goes forward. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, anyway. So getting back to it, the, the big news, obviously, we saw really was the inclusion of, of Ross, uh, and straight away I reached out to Ross uh, the day. Uh, after I saw the announcement, the day we saw the announcement and, and said, you know, first off, big congratulations on uh, on, on doing this. Uh, he's obviously going to be at Gen Con uh, to take part in the seminar, I would say. Uh, and I said, you know, we need to catch up. Obviously, he needs time to get through the whole Gen Con thing. Uh, and it turns out he's also moving to Frankfurt. So I'm guessing that... Uh, so Ulysses Games is a division of a German company, Ulysses Spieler, uh, which is in Frankfurt based. So it looks like Ross is going to be Operating out of the uh, out of their German office, uh, even though it's a, a US or UK English based game anyway. So, uh, yeah. and, and it's possible. That I, I don't know, but Ulysses Games in, in US could be simply just a distribution house. It may not actually have development happening in the US. Yeah. So yeah. we'll wait and see. Uh, but yeah, Ross is more than keen to come on the show. Uh, so we'll have him on probably, I'd say, in September at this point in time. By the time he sort of gets through his, you know, Gen Con experiences and move and everything, but uh, I think yeah. the the main question we'll be asking will be: Are all the games going to be compatible? Is it going to be a a holistic approach to the gaming? I was going to ask him if there'll be rules for punching bang blades. Well, there he was be. the one that started that. You know, that's become a sort of a, a bit of a, a moniker for our show now as well. He punching bang punching blade. blades thing. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, it is important to punch them. That's it. Yeah, yeah. And this doesn't mean that we won't. Um, Keep in contact with the FFG guys as well. I actually spoke to Tim Hockerbury again just this last week. Wished him well for the whole uh, uh, the whole Gen Con thing as well. Yep. Uh, you may have also seen, I don't know if we mentioned it in the show previously, but there's a new role-playing system coming out from FFG called Genesis. Uh, and Genesis is pretty much taking the narrative dice system we saw in the Star Wars games and turning it into a generic universal system as such for any, yeah, any their own experience. setting that they don't have to pay money for exactly right yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> oh, there, there was a big push for FFG I know on settings that they own yeah so certainly now that they own they're not just like licensing Legend of the Five Rings they own Legend of the Five Rings so they're doing everything they can with it I've yeah, caught up with um, one of the girls from FFG in Dallas earlier in the year and who's looking after the FFG license and um, yeah, she was saying that yeah, they've got a lot of sort of plans for it so I'm looking forward to that as well yeah yeah so I'll certainly be still catching it I'll be watching the uh, webcast of the FFG seminar at Gen Con this weekend. Uh, but yeah, looking also to try and get 
a view of what happens in the uh, the Ulysses Games one as well. If you're at Gen Con, it's at 12 o'clock on the Saturday at Gen Con. Uh, keep in mind that it's already booked out. They only had 75 spots, but with all events at Gen Con, you know, turn up, line up outside, especially with free events, because a lot of people just book into them and then don't turn up. Yeah, so, yeah, we you know, found that when we yeah, went along. Every single year I've got along and I've gone to get to the FFG one. Um, mm-hmm. There's always been... They've always expanded the room size as well based on the demand and yeah, yeah people, there's, people don't miss out, which is good. But yeah, looking forward to that. And I guess the other bit of news to talk about, really, is the announcement by GW that they're bringing back Necromunda. Yes. So, Big news. Sorry? Big news. Big news, yeah. Important no, no, news. Important news, that's right. As far as I'm concerned, it is. I mean, Necromunda is probably one of my favourite games. So th- this caught me as a bit of a surprise, because... Well, well, same, I was thinking Shadow War Armageddon, they might release an expansion for Shadow War Armageddon that covers the gangs. Yeah. But they've specifically called out on their webpage, I had a look. Yeah. Someone asked the question, is this an expansion for Shadow War Armageddon? And the answer was, no, is its distinct own game. Yeah. Completely so are they doing it as like a box game, like they did with things like the yes. Carpets or stuff? Yes. Yeah, okay. At the moment, it looks like it is with um, Clan Escher yep. and House um, oh, Goliath. Goliath, okay. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. The, the muscle-bound meatheads versus the, the, the girls with the guns. Punk, with, and the punks, the punk, punk girls. That's punk it, girls yeah, with that's, guns, that's yes. It. And it's all plastic models as well, isn't all it? All plastic yeah. models, and they look gorgeous. They've only shown yeah. two, mo- two of each model yeah. at the moment. But yeah, because I mean, let's look at as, as, as a similar game what they did with Blood Bowl. Yeah, so Blood Bowl they released recently. They did it with plastic, plastic orc and human army or team. teams. Um, but I haven't really seen a lot of the other teams in the shops at all. Okay. So. No, they're not selling them on, in the shops particularly. You have to order, well the way the shops work here in Australia. You have to order pretty much everything. Yeah, um, and then they get it into the store. But there's Skaven team, Halfling team, yeah. um, Chaos team. They're wood elves, wood elf. And Dark Elf, okay. I've seen as well, and yep. they've re-released some of the older teams as well, re- recast them as, um, you know, as, pla- as plastics or as resin or plastics for most. Of okay, them, no, yeah. I, I mean there are some resin things that you can get through Forge World as well. Yeah, like um, some of the star players, the big guys. Okay, yeah, but yeah, they're going all out. They've even released um, neoprene pictures. Oh uh, yeah, well I saw out Mac pitches. Yeah, which... I, I saw they had in the store. They had the um, orc, so the dwarf and Skaven pitch. Yeah, like it was a double sided pitch. You just put it down the yeah, one you yeah. wanted. And um, I have to say, I hope that that's their first step into releasing neoprene battle mats, like yeah, okay. full six foot by four foot mats like that to put down as a battlescape yeah, because okay. they look just so good when you put your scenery on them. Yeah, okay. Yeah, mm. you know, I've seen a few of those now with the sort of the the not neoprene, but certainly their poster style. Yeah. Maps you've seen recently, they they put out too. So yeah, yeah, the paper maps, but yep. these things are so much nicer than the paper okay. maps. So getting back to Necromunda, I certainly agree that I also sort of thought that if anything, Necromunda gangs might be an expansion pack for so, for yeah. Shadow Run again. But you know, no, they said they're going to do. And what's it's got like a like a moniker to it. It's like, it's like Necromunda Dark Hive or something. Is it not something like yeah. those lines? Yeah. 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 So I mean, you're obviously excited for this. You're a Necromunda player at the time. Huge Necromunda player. At the yeah, time. yeah. And uh, hopefully they do a bigger release than they had with Shadow War because Shadow War they sort of under underestimated. Yeah, they interest. didn't release enough box sets and couldn't get them. So mm-hmm. I hope you know I'll be pre-ordering Necromunda as soon as it's available to pre-order. I'll be pre-ordering okay. it to get a copy. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah, it always came with nice scenery and. Uh, oh yeah. The, well, the cardboard scenery was at the time. There was well, the plastic with the plastic bulkheads. The plastic bulkheads, but it was still great scenery. Yeah, yeah, and it goes for a fortune on eBay. Yeah, it's hard to come by these days, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that was a big, I mean, a big news story, definitely for uh, for GW followers. And uh, look, I mean, certainly in the past few months, 
we've gotten more into the the war game stuff along with the RPGs. So you know, both you and I have been furiously collecting and modeling and painting and preparing, yeah, working on our techniques and such. You know, so yeah. Yeah. I actually went along to a game store recently and watched a four way battle between two groups of orcs, Tau and Ultramarines. Yeah, uh, I didn't get to watch the whole battle. I had to get I had to get back but home. You got the, to watch the Ultramarines stomp the town. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, pretty much like it. In the, it, it was seven fifty points for each side, and the time it took the Ultramarines to wipe out the town entirely, they lost two Marines. Yeah, yeah. So, and they took one wound on their one of their Razorbacks. That was it. So, <laughs> I think um, bad rolling may have been involved in that. So, I think it was two things. I think first off was that the player of the Ultramarines had worked out where things rules were a bit silly, like the fact that he could protrude only a single edge of a track of a predator and actually shoot from the predator because of any part of the model oh. you know it has line of sight you can draw line of sight from any part of the model yet you know it had six, you know, lots and lots of cover against attacks back at it as such yeah um, and the fact that the, the Tau player had basically bought his Tau army on eBay and so really didn't have a choice in what his figures were as such he just had what he had Oh, yeah, you know, no, I, and he like, probably had no real idea how to use them. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, you know... When, when, Green once, general! <laughs> once, once the Ultramarines got into um, uh, close combat with the Tau, it was all over. Yeah. What was you saying yesterday about the, about the weapons they need to take? Well, the, the main weapon you need against a Tau in close combat is a stick to scrape the Tau off the bottom of your shoe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Still, you know, we've got friends who are quite big tower players, you know, but their tower, tower certainly excel at, uh, at ranged Range, combat yeah, and, and, and their suits and their tanks and that sort of stuff. You, you know? have to have the right selection of gear to yep. fight against what you're fighting against. You know, if you know you're going to be going against Marines, there's certain things that you should take. And yeah. Likewise with Marines, if you know you're going against Tau, you're not going to win in a standoff firefight, so you have to get in close. So lots of assault Marines, yeah. which I take it he had. Yep, that's yeah, it, yeah, of course. Oh, no, actually, only have one squad of but just and then two squads of five man tactical marine squads. Okay. Yeah, but still, you know, they yeah, are. the assault marines probably wiped out the majority of his the core. Yeah. Bulk in the middle. Yeah, well, they took out the suits basically. Yeah, that's what yeah. they meant. They did took out the suits. Whereas the pathfinders were regular tactical marines could deal with the pathfinders. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, so I mean, you've been reading more of Eighth Edition now. How are you finding it with build, yeah, army building and? Good. I've not really had too much trouble with it. Um, yeah, I've read through the. A lot of the lore. Okay. I've been reading a lot of the fluff in the Space Marine Codex and the Chaos Codex. And yeah, it all explains things a bit better and makes it a little bit clearer about what's actually going on. And yep. most of it fits. What, what pissed me off a bit was the fact that I recently picked up the new Space Marine Codex. And of course, I picked up or I picked up the indexes. I didn't get the Chaos Index, but I got one of the Chaos Indexes and the two Imperial Indexes when they came out. And just looking at the Space Marine Index book versus the Space Marine Codex... I would say probably half the figures have a different points cost or power level. Yeah. Um, and it, it really does make it, the index book feel really redundant. Like it was just a complete waste of money to get that when, it, when it, the, the game first came out. I, I think it's one of those cases that the index book's good if your army book isn't going to... Codex isn't going to come out quickly. Okay. Yeah, right. so, so for Marines and Chaos, probably a waste. Yep. But, you know, for someone like a Tyranid player or a Tau player, they may not see their Codex this year. Yeah, it's true. So, I mean, we don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's going to be a bit of a wait for them. So, until yeah. then, Index okay. has to do it. I've come across a great little program as well. I found one. It's, it's called Battlescribe. Um, there was someone who did a very complex 8th edition um, sort of armyless builder program, which got 
taken down by GW because he'd basically used images that weren't his, that sort of stuff. He did more than just use images that weren't his. I mean, he he came out and he specifically said he understands why they took it down. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And, he, you know, he didn't call any fault to it. He was being cheeky by putting it up in the first place. Yeah. It had all the points lists in the program, so you didn't need to buy any books. Yeah. It had all the rules in the program, so you didn't need to buy any books. Yeah. You know, all you needed was your army, which also... Without licensing, he had pictures, images stolen directly from their website, which yeah, okay, was putting yeah. a drain on their bandwidth. Whereas Battlescribe, Battlescribe does actually give you all the points costs. What it doesn't give you really is special rules. Yeah. So it will say, you know, this unit has this special rule, refer to page, blah, 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 to, to find this as such. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's really nice for doing army lists. Um, I have found a couple of little bugs with the program when I've been trying to do certain... Combinations? Units. Yeah, there was a... I was trying to do... Um, Space Marine veterans, and uh, I, I had one with a bolt gun and one with a plasma gun, and I put the bolt gun on one, and I put the plasma gun on the other, and suddenly they both have a plasma gun, and it's saying, oh, this guy's got a bolt gun and a plasma gun, that's too much. So I'd take the plasma gun off him, and it would disappear from the other guy that's saying, this guy's got no weapons, that's not enough, you know, so, <laughs> um, yeah. I think I ended up just leaving it out of my army list for the time being. It's like a, sort just, of just easier not to have the veterans. Yeah, but I will say that from picking up the uh, Space Marine Codex, it did have as other codecs have had recently, uh, a drawing on one of the sort of two-page spreads of, a, of an entire Ultramarines company. So it showed the second company, uh, which they've shown how Primaris Marines fit in now, where previously they had, you know, companies were all 10-man, 10, ten, ten squads, 10-man ten, yeah. ten, ten squads. Um, but now you've got um, uh, 12 squads to a company. Uh, but some of those squads are like, you know, smaller, uh, like say five-man um, intercessor or three man, um, uh, what's the salt one? You know, you know what I mean. Anyway, um, squads, that sort of thing. So, uh, I don't know how it fits in with the thousand marines in the Codex of Studies and such. But well, the thing is, it never really had a thousand marines in the Codex of Studies. You got to remember, every single Rhino Predator jet bike is piloted by a Tech Marine. Yeah, that's right. And you know, straight away there, you've got an extra hundred guys just driving the rhinos. Yeah, <laughs> that's on top of all your tanks and everything else. So really, a chapter was never a thousand guys; it was always more. Yeah, but a thousand line infantry. A thousand line infantry. Yeah, that, yeah. that's it, really. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you throw in command structures, librarians, chaplains, um, apothecaries, tech into your armory, your tech priests, there must be hundreds of them. I never realised quite how many there were until I was reading the new codex, and it specifically says all the pilots are tech marines. Yeah. And I'm thinking, that's a lot of pilots. Yeah. That's a lot of drivers, especially, especially some of the chapters that have lots of vehicles as well. Yeah, like, like white scars. Well, they, they may they may just be regular, like they may be part of the rank and file of chapters because they don't follow the codex of studies. Exactly, rig- but I mean something like do. Dark Angels. With all yeah, their well, with the with the Deathwing, with no, no, Death- no, sorry, Raven, Ravenwing. With Ravenwing, Ravenwing are yeah. they all tech priests, or are they just? No, it's Ravenwing, Ravenwing, one of their companies. I think Ravenwing's actually the same company, isn't it? Yeah, I, th- I believe yeah. it is. But are they trained by tech priests to be better? Yeah, able and to. So the you, don't, you don't paint them with the red pauldrons that sort of stuff when you paint exactly. Ravenwing so, they're all black. So you know, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll have to wait and see the Dark Angels book when that comes out, and if they clarify that a little bit in the fluff. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Yeah, I think you were saying, weren't you, that you like they, they cleared up some more of the fluff about Primaris Marines and Call in the book as well? Yeah, yeah. So Call didn't just get told, oh, you can make the Primaris Marines, and suddenly the Primaris Marines were fully grown, fully trained and ready. He'd yeah. been 
making them for years and putting them in stasis vaults, just sitting there waiting for the day when they would be used. Yeah, which, which does beg the question once again about ancients, where you know you've got Primaris ancients, and you go, well, hold on a second. So he's ancient because he's very old, but he has zero combat experience. Yeah, yeah. so he's really green. Well, that's it. But I mean, also raises the, the interesting fact that Cool himself is from the Horus Heresy. He's ten thousand years old. Yeah. So you know he's, he's pretty... we've covered off basically that Marines just don't don't wait. They won't die of old age. They, yeah, exactly. And I, I suppose a tech priest, especially one as enhanced as Cool. Yep. It's not like there's really a lot of biological matter to get old and die. That's true. That's it. I mean, but getting back to that two-page spread of the uh, the company, so I actually sat now. I worked out that I have enough miniatures to build the entire Ultramarine Second Company, as it's shown there. Yeah. With with two exceptions, one is I didn't have a ten man squad of assault marines. I needed to have five more assault marines to fill up one of my squads, um, and two I didn't have a chaplain. I had zero chaplains in my ultramarines. So still far. can't believe you never had a chaplain. Yeah, I was saying so. So um, for those that don't know, um, ages ago Mike had a whole bunch of older um, marine figures he wasn't using. Or he just gave to me, and th- these were a lot of the old metal and plastic combination kits, and, so, and a whole bunch yeah. of. Vogue Trader edition. Marines. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So, so these were like you know a lot of a lot of these metal figures would have like you know one arm, the other arm would be a plastic thing where you could pose it as such. And of course, Mike didn't have any of the original plastics as such. And so, and because the scale has changed over time, they looked uh, a little bit out. If you put the new plastics on them as well, especially if you put a Primaris plastic on them. But uh, anyway, so there, there, I did have a metal chaplain, but you um, didn't like him. So, but you didn't like. Yeah, him. and it never painted them. When it was a complete model too, you know, yeah. but ne- never painted them as such, you know. Uh, so I, I want to go and get a proper chaplain. So I went into GW and I, I picked up a squad of five um, assault marines. And I had planned to buy the new Primaris chaplain, uh, which I think is a nice looking model. Yeah, you know, so. great model. Um, but it was Australia sixty dollars, so what US forty eight dollars and such for a, for a single miniature. Uh, and then I saw they had the Space Marine Heroes box, which for fifty dollars Australian gave you a captain, a librarian, and a chaplain. Yeah. Uh, and of course, I didn't have a librarian in my army either. So I was able to sort of uh, say, okay, now I've got a librarian and a chaplain. And now I can build the entire Ultramarine Second Company, plus elements of the Third and Fourth Company, plus I've got multiple scout squads. So I've got like four squads from the Tenth Company as well. So, no, and yeah. Terminator squads. So I've got squads from the First Company. So, yeah. Nah, it's all right. But certainly, I've got none of the heroes. All uh, ready to get eaten by the Tyranid swarms again. Yeah, no. It's, yeah. <laughs> I don't have a Manius, Manius Calgar. I don't have Gulliman. I don't have. Uh, what, Cato Sicarius or... To be honest, I've never really liked using independent, ca- like, specialist characters in my army. Yeah, so the one I was reading through I would use is there's Sergeant Kronos, yeah. which is like, he's the um, tank commander. So you buy him and he, he goes as an add-on to an existing tank. And uh, he's only plus three power, I can't remember the exact point cost, but it's not, not, not expensive. Uh, and his main ability I like is the fact that at the start of, every, start of your turn, every single turn, he automatically heals one wound to the vehicle he's in. Uh, from watching some 40k edition games recently, vehicles can only can get through with only sort of one or two hits around. Yeah. So we'll really pull on the life of that. That um, yeah. And you know, to be honest, you could just say, okay, well, this tank has got that guy in it, but you are supposed to buy the figure because if the tank gets blown up, you know, you've got the little pedestrian version of him you can put down <laughs> on the on the. T- <laughs> you like that one, do you? Yeah. You ever play the old Steve Jackson Car Wars game? Yeah. Oh. Uh, they used to have definitions there where they said, okay, so a person in a car is a driver. Uh, an armoured person in a car is an armoured driver and then you've got a pedestrian and an armoured pedestrian and then a person in the water is a swimmer and the person with armour in the water is a sinker so <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah no, so you need to have that little figure because it's funny when I was working out um, what armies I could build with my miniatures 
Um, I didn't have a second HQ choice for my Imperial Guard. I've only got one HQ for Imperial Guard. And if I wanted to build a battalion, I needed at least two choices. So all I had to do was say, okay, well, that Lehman Russ there has a tank commander in it. Um, and <laughs> suddenly that, that Lehman Russ becomes an HQ choice. Becomes an HQ choice. Yeah, and there's no need to worry about the pedestrian version of that guy because he doesn't actually come out. Yeah, because when the tank goes up, so does the guy inside. Like a real guardsman. Exactly, that's it, yeah. So, uh, yeah, look, so I've had a lot of fun with 8th edition starting to to build my army and work out what I've got, you know. And uh, so I think that given that, that that new gaming store near us, that a lot of people are playing 750-point games, I'm not going to take my full 8,000 points of Imperium along. I'm just going to... Uh, Cindy, what are you saying about 13,000 points, including demons or something, was it? 13,000 points not including demons. Okay, all right, yeah. So just, just chaos. Just chaos. But I'd never take the demons anyway because they're all old demons so they're all metal demons okay and they're heavy as hell yep okay so yeah but I might I might make a little 750 point army and take it along just to try it out again so yep. get used to playing it again because yeah from what I saw you know especially with that tower player from earlier you know there are a lot of you know sort of noobs out there I need to poo the noobs yeah. on the uh, on the gaming table alright so that's, um, that's it for the news let's put that aside now and just start talking more about Wrath and Glory in detail okay knowledge is power well. Okay, so there's probably not a lot we know about Wrath and Glory yet. Yeah. So this so, section is going to be called Wild Speculation. Wild Speculation, exactly right, yes. Yeah. So, uh, so you, Mike, you already said before that you thought that they would go more down the path of a sort of a generic setting with, I guess, campaign style. That, that was sort of discussed somewhat in the fact there, you know, where you say yeah. that there'd be each campaign will be, you know, unique to itself. Yeah, it would focus on a specific setting. How do you think that would, that something would work in terms of campaign play? Like, are you thinking that they're going for sort of like a uh, finite campaign book as such, which is like, here's a series of adventures that end at this point, and this is where you're currently playing Eldar, or, you know, are you thinking it's more a case of this is more just a generic setting book? And uh, I see it more of a sort of a generic setting book, and then yep. they'll have these campaign books. It will be like The Fall of Cadia. Yeah, and you'll play Imperial Guardsman or someone involved in the Fall of Cadia, and you'll play through it. Who knows? Maybe the campaign book will have both sides of that campaign setting, so you could play both sides if you wished, or just one side, or you could mix it up. Yeah, and then at the end of that, you could continue as you see, if you wished, or you could drop it there. Okay. I think that's that's the impression I get. I'll, yep. I'll be honest, that's the impression I get. And I get the impression that you'll be able to play. All sides of conflicts, as it were. Yeah, okay. No worries. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping they do open up a lot more. It's one of the things I was most disappointed about with the FFG lines. We've never really got strong rules for Eldar. Yeah. We had the Dark Eldar in Soul Reaver, that was it, you know, but never really got the regular Eldar for yeah, like, yeah. Some so, players. Yeah, so, some, yeah, some life paths and, yeah. Yeah, there were some, some banned books done, you know, stuff from the old Dark Rain website that had that as well, but uh, never, never anything official, really. Yeah. Um, all right, next thing is... Uh, the system we mentioned before. So, what we know is that it's a dice pool of d6s based on your abilities. Mm-hmm. So, what are some similar systems to this? You know, so uh, Shadowrun uses a pool of d6s. Uh, the White Wolf games use a pool of d10s. Uh, um, Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's that true. uses a pool of d6s, and that's, that's a good system. I like that. System. So, so okay. Well, there's there's two distinct systems there. So, with things like Shadowrun and, and White Wolf, what you're looking for is you're looking for target numbers. So you, you roll, you know, ten d6, and only five and sixes count. So you work out all the five and sixes that you've rolled, and work out that's how many successes that I've got. 
and I guess that is more... 4K. It's akin to the, to the war game experience. It's, yeah, because you roll all your dice to see how many hits you get. Then you roll the remaining... You, you, know, you take the hit dice, you roll those again to see if you've got wounds. They take the number of dice and roll to see if they saved. You know, then it goes from there, basically. Yeah. Uh, as an alternative to the games like uh, Song of Ice and Fire Roll playing, where you're rolling all those dice and adding up to get a result. Yeah. Plus there's also uh, roll and keep systems, like the new uh, 7th C, yeah. uh, or Legend of the Five Rings, the original one, where basically... You roll a certain number of dice, and uh, you have a, a cap on how many of those dice you can actually keep to generate your target number. You know, so you're trying to get, you know, you roll seven dice and manage to get the best five as such to get as high as possible. Yeah. Uh, There's also opposed roll systems as well. Yeah, it's, opposed yeah, roll yeah. versus fixed target numbers. Yeah. yeah, it's actually one of the interesting things I found about running Numenera is Numenera is a game where the GM never rolls. You know, so when the players take a monster, they roll a hit. When the monster attacks them, the players roll to dodge. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's. You see, I, I don't mind systems like that, yep. but it, it takes away a lot of control that the GM has. You can't fudge a dice roll to save a campaign if, you know, bad dice rolls by the players, yeah, they're dead. You know, There's nothing the GM can do to fudge the numbers, which I think limits those utility a little. Yeah, I mean, look, I will say that in my Dark Heresy campaign, which ran for several years, that I got a bit character kill-happy, Towards the end of the campaign, well, you're supposed uh, to. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm not talking about the last game here. I'm talking about so like for about the last two years of playing the game, we probably had a higher body count in that game uh, for player character deaths than probably every other game I've run ever combined. Yeah, because normally speaking, I generally don't. Uh, I try to avoid killing characters because it's a story about them, you know. And you, when you take one of them out, you lose that story. Now, that's not to say I don't create circumstances in my games where it could happen, but. If I do, I tend to try and make it a bit more poignant, like I did with my Siren game recently, where they had the option to lose a player character to, to resolve an issue, or, you know, or go about a more difficult way as such. And you know, I was prepared for the fact they may have gone down the path of losing, losing the player character as such, but it would have been poignant within the setting. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I think that with 40k, uh, given the nature of the setting, I sort of started to feel throughout the game that, no, I think that um, there should be a relatively high attrition, especially as a group got towards tougher and tougher opponents, you know, and I always let people re-roll characters, you know, at a similar level to where they were before, so they weren't sort of stepping backwards. You know, they got to keep the same number of experience points as such, yeah, and yeah. that way they came in at a, at a current power level, but yeah, certainly, uh, I think we've probably had, I don't know, a dozen or so character deaths towards the end of Dark Heresy, so... Yeah, I was... Two of those. Yeah. <laughs> Three it. of those. Yep. Three of those, yeah. That's it. I think that probably Pat was was probably three or four more. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Majority of them were were just two of us. Yeah, but that's, that's okay. right. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, so, so I think that it's one of the elements of 40k that you have to bring into. Yeah, is the whole it's a whole grim darkness. It's not, it's well, not that, happy happy joy joy. That's it. We we've something like 40k. We as a player, you have to go into it expecting that there's a good chance your character will get killed. Yeah. Especially if you're playing a combat character like I did. You know, every time I went into a tough fight, I had to accept the fact that, you know what? This could be the last fight this character had. Yeah, I saw the fact. I saw that we had the character that charged the demon, and the rest of the group all fled. Yeah. And suddenly you were left on your own, and you were cut down pretty quickly. So. Yeah. Hey, I held it off for at least two rounds. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Yeah, but there was no one else there. There was no one else there to do anything else, yeah. Stuff. You had to parry on your behalf, or... Or, yeah. or deal some extra damage to it. Yep, yeah, that's it, yeah, so... <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, so I think that system-wise, uh, I, I think it's probably going to be a bit dice-heavy. You know, whenever I hear dice pull, I think I think you know 
What do guys in your hands as such, yeah. So. so long as it doesn't get silly, I think that we've all played a system, at least one system where you're rolling, you know, 15d6s and adding the numbers together and ridiculous things like really, that. You know, play the Dragon um, Dragon Ball RPG? No, Dragon but Ball I, RPG. I'm looking at things like... Well, not you can Rift, get like a thousand um, d Champions, I think Champions was prone to that, wasn't it? Lots of dice. Look, yeah. Champions was fine provided, you know, the thing was that... that if, so if a regular person has 1d6 strength, then a strong person might have 3d6 strength. But when you're talking about, like, Superman, Super level, Superman level strength, okay, that could be, like, 30d6. Yeah. yeah right. And, and it got silly. It yeah. did get silly. You were rolling just so many dice and adding it all together. Yeah. Which is fine for your math skills if you're a student at the time and you're kind of young and you've got to polish them up a bit. Yeah. But for, you know, sitting around playing an actual game, you don't want to be rolling 20 dice and adding them all together. Yeah. So hopefully the dice balls don't get too ridiculous. So tell me... What are you hoping for in terms of character creation? Not options, but like methodology. Lots of stats. Lots of stats. So you think it's got to have like a, a, a large pool of, of beliefs? To, to be honest, I think something like D&D with six stats is fine. Yep. But some systems we've seen recently, there's been a big push in it, I feel, in the last probably 10 years. Yeah. To having minimalist systems, which yep. can be okay as well. But something like, you know... Oh, I've got a stat for offense, a stat for defense, and a stat for health, and that. Once again, I mean, Numenera's got three stats: might, might, speed, and intellect. See, see, that's it. <laughs> that's the sort of thing that I, I just feel like it's not enough depth. Yeah, you know, sometimes you want a bit more than that, and so I'd rather see lots of stats. Yeah. Okay. No worries. Yeah. I mean, uh, so we see systems that are um, built around, for example, rolling or or making choices. Um, we see ones that we basically you build a background such I mean like we've spoken in the past about life path based systems I mean you're yeah, not quite I, a fan of life path I'm a huge fan of life path systems I think life path systems are great or if it do, is not a system with a life path a system with lots of merits and flaw type systems so okay. a, like a balance sheet of special things about the character that, that define them as different from everybody else yeah because yeah. I mean some of the earlier like FFG RPGs especially like going back to first edition Dark Heresy which Admittedly, was also a Black Industries one. Um, you know, two characters, two starting level characters of the same career side by side would be extremely similar. Yeah, be virtually yeah. indistinguishable. Same, same gear, you know, you have slight difference in terms of their, their home world or such, but... Yeah, I mean, it depends. It comes down like a game like um, Only War. Yeah. That's a game which is built around the average person. Yeah. But if you're playing something like Death Watch, you want to... You don't want to be the average space marine. I mean, space marines certainly aren't average. Anyway, no, but I mean, even, even, De- Mar- even Death Watch are exceptional individuals. But, so. Exactly. So they should be. They should have something that sets them above the average pleb on the street. Yeah. And I think that that would be something that would be needed. Okay. So either a life path system, which would incorporate something like that, something which makes the character special. Yeah. Or some sort of merit flaw system, maybe, but something that does make the characters unique. Okay. And unfortunately, I think the life path system is probably unlikely just because they've mentioned aliens there. Yeah, okay. You know, how, how long would a, an elder's life path be? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. So looking back at the the original, uh, the 40k role-playing games when they first came out, there was a lot of criticism from people early on when you only had Dark Heresy and then eventually Road Trader, that they hadn't given players options for, for Marines Early on. Early on. Yeah, that, that, that they were such an iconic part of 
the 40k setting and that it suffered somewhat by not having access to that as a player option straight away yeah before the third game has come out I mean what, what are your thoughts there yeah I think that's probably a f- I don't think it's a fair assessment because I think the other games were great games but I think that a lot of players will come into it going yeah I want to play a space marine straight away yeah. that's going to be what they're coming for you come to, there are a lot of players who play 40k to play space marine yeah, I mean, I think that there are, there's, there's two types of players that get into these RPGs, really. So some of them are the people that love the 40k fluff, yeah. you know. So uh, as, as 40k fluff goes, I'm less interested in Space Marines, personally. I'm more interested in, you know, Agents of the Imperium because they are more sort of human people as such that you can relate to and everything. So uh, I like the fact that I was able to play an Acolyte in the First Dark Heresy as such, you know, and then took a big step to be a Rogue Trader in, yeah. you know, when Rogue Trader came out. Uh, but I think the other type of people that play are just the, oh, I like the 40k RP, uh, sorry, 40k war game. I'll give this a try. I want to be playing something iconic that, that is familiar to me straight away. I don't absorb all the fluff. I just know tactical Marines, assault Marines, devastators, yeah, that's cow, you know, um, and I think probably if they do bring in Marines or even if they don't and there's elder or orcs or whatever, I think probably one of the things they're going to have to do is not having balance with each other. Yeah. I, I know that's that goes against a lot of what people believe is important in a game, but an Eldar aspect warrior should be better than a human guard. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, sorry, but that's just the fact that that's the way it is. It doesn't all have to be balanced. They have to be they should be balanced with each other. Yeah. So two orcs should be balanced against each other, but you know, an orc and a human not really. So yeah, I think, especially with Marines, yeah. they shouldn't be balanced with the humans. Not that that really needs saying, but yeah, okay. it, but some people do sort of get that whole, oh, well, I don't want to play a Marine in the Death Watch game, I want to play something else. Okay, that's fine, but don't be expect to be as good as a Marine. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose even though, going back to your analogy of the Aspect Warrior, you know, you could have the Aspect Warrior who's only just joined the Warrior's Path. Yeah, yeah. And previously they'd been like path of the gardener, path of the poet, path of yeah. the shoemaker. That's it. Yeah, there's, there's actually they, they, they are green to combat, but they've you know they've taken they've taken their war mask for the first time, and yeah, now they're an aspect warrior or like a dire avenger or something. But uh, that's just an example. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I I agree though. I think that um, uh, they need to have the options for unbalanced. And I think that you know when you look at a game like Black Crusade, that was done very well there. You know, yeah. you had unbalanced player character options. But they were balanced through other elements of the game, you know, narrative elements, uh, you know, character creation elements as such, things that made it so that it was viable to play Space Marines and non-Space Marines together and not have it become a complete, you know... Cakewalk for the Space exactly, Marines exactly or right, yeah. ridiculously impossible for the non-Marines. Yeah, whereas, like, I mean, I remember our Black Crusade campaign where your character who was a Marine was pretty useless at combat as well, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah but I sort of aimed for that because... I wasn't the corn player. Yeah, that's true. That's quite true. Uh, yeah, okay. So, I mean, I think that there's a couple of elements that we can see from the from the game there. I mean, what are you hoping for in terms of a release cycle for books? How 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 regularly do you think they need to get books out to keep people interested? Fairly regularly. I'll be honest. I don't think they're going to have FFG's release cycle when they were at their height. When yeah. just after Rogue Trader came out, they were releasing what a book it. A book, Two, uh, three books every uh, month. They were a, a book a month for each line at, at yeah. the highest point. When, when when Black Crusade was, was fresh, you know, you basically had a book for Dark Heresy, Road Trader, Black Crusade, and Death Watch all in a given month. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's unrealistic. You yeah. can't keep that sort of level of production up 
and turn a profit, I don't think. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll be honest, I just don't think FFG were turning enough money for the amount they were pumping into the line with producing those books. Because gamers don't have $300 a month to buy books. No. Well, most don't. No. Um, so I think probably one book a month would be fine. Yeah, the three and a half. I mean, I'd, 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 I'd aim I'd, for one book a month, maybe one book every two or three months. Yeah, I, I, think, I think one book a month is probably too optimistic initially. Yeah, yeah. we'll see. I, I'm really hoping that on Saturday at the Gen Con announcement, yeah, we start to hear about release date. Yeah. You know, um, I'll, I'll certainly be keeping an eye on their, on their forums to see if they start talking about playtest groups, Yeah, for example. Yeah. So, uh, um, I'll be honest, though, it depends on the size of the books as well. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah I mean, you look at something like the, the old vampire's clan books yeah they were 50 pages if that yes yeah, i mean i don't really have a lot to go on in terms of the history of ulysses games and what they've yeah. done like i mean i said i know torg and torg was a game when it was first up at west end was all small books yeah you know it, it's like the old um star wars games you know all, all, all they were all soft cover you know like only like half centimeter thick books as such you know for yeah. all the sort of supplements which for that. can be fine if you're releasing lots of them because yeah. it does keep you a good cycle and it also keeps cheaper end gamers involved because they can afford to buy one book or they can afford to buy six books or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it will depend on that and it will depend on the quality of the books and all this sort of thing. It depends how much money they're pumping into this license as to what sort of release schedule we're going to see. Yeah, so, I mean, there's been some speculation around the traps that, once again, we've said before, but GW might be quite active in this as well in terms of what they're sort of pumping in resources-wise too. Like, we saw with FFG the number of the writers for those books were people who worked for Forge World or GW as well. You know, so we may see those same people writing for um, Wrath and Glory, you know, yeah, for, yeah. for Ulysses too. Uh, and we've seen things like, we mentioned before with Necromunda coming out as a new box game. Uh, I've also heard that GW is going to re-release a lot of the, the boxed games they've done through FFG, starting with Talisman, for example. You know, but I don't know if we'll see... I mean, I think that games like Forbidden Stars and Relic were all... In, where they were entirely FFG productions, whereas Talisman was always originally a Games Workshop game that was adapted by FFG, and now it's gone back to, to, games, to games Workshop again. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I do get the impression that um, you know, it's part of Games Workshop's ongoing strategy now is to support the lines here as much as possible, uh, which is why you know that they... I, I don't think they ever planned to really stop what they were doing with FFG necessarily. I think probably it became more of an incompatibility between the two businesses' yeah, long-term I, I, strategies. Yeah, I think FFG is more aimed now towards having its own licenses of its own products and focusing on that yeah. rather than having to give a share of profits to some other entity. Yeah, I mean, I'm even seeing... I just going to talk about FFG for a moment, but I'm even seeing a, a great reduction in the number of new Star Wars books being announced. Yeah. You know, there was a point as well where Star Wars books were pretty much coming out one online a month. Yeah. And that, that's dropped down substantially now as well. So once again, Star Wars is not a product that they own. It's a product that they, they license. Uh, they, they can't do things like do PDF versions of the books as well because of the electronic licensing requirements of, of Lucasfilm or Disney in this case. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can see them wanting to put more effort into uh, IPs that they own as well. You know, yeah. Like I mentioned before with, with um, Legend of the Five Rings, Android. I would love to see an Android RPG at some point in the future. Yeah. You know, I mean... I have to agree with that. I think yeah, I mean, once again, it's just cyberpunk, but you know, but it's, it's quite a unique cyberpunk setting. And you, you can say it's just a cyberpunk setting, but how many cyberpunk settings are there which are having books released at the moment? Shadowrun. That's Shadowrun, it. that's it. I yeah. mean, 
it's it's a pretty narrow field. Yeah, so exactly right. Yeah. They could release it, and yes, it would be just a cyberpunk game, but it'd be just a cyberpunk game without elves and dwarves and God knows what else. It'd be just a cyberpunk game. Yeah. The only cyberpunk game at the moment. That's it. I mean, just looking to a Gen Con moment, is there anything else that you're looking for more information on as it comes up through Gen Con this year? Any, any sort of publishers that you're keeping an eye on or products that are coming out that you want to see? Um... Not particularly. I mean, they just recently with uh, White Wolf, they announced their their storyteller vault. Did you see it? I saw this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So essentially, what they're doing is they're getting the uh, the audience to create content, then they're selling it and take giving the audience person who created it a cut of the profits. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like the um, the Lego thing where you can yeah submit designs for your own Lego stuff, and if enough people vote for it, they build it, and you get a cut of the profit from that as well. You know, yeah, so. yeah. It, it, it's. An interesting system, a way of doing it, but it feels a bit like, ah, oh, it's a way of keeping producing books without paying writers. Yeah, that's it. So, <laughs> uh, okay, so there's, there's that. I mean, uh, certainly I'll be watching... I know there's going to be an L5R big do up at the FFG stand, but that could be specifically on what they're doing with the card game. You know, I, I don't think we're going to see any announcement about an RPG. I could be wrong. They but might I, announce I, I, a big tabletop release. Yeah, but I, I, I reckon yeah, any RPG for L5R... It's probably at least maybe Gen Con next year at this point in time, but we'll yeah. see. I think Genesis will be their big focus RPG wise at, at Gen Con this year. I, it's probably so. Normally, I've got a friend that goes to Gen Con, so if I'm not going, I say to him, "You know, these are the products I want you to pick me up at Gen Con if they come out. If they come out, exactly. And in many cases, there's things I know that are coming out, like, but I'm prepared to wait for that to come out into the local gaming store and just buy it here. So the only book I've asked him to pick up at Gen Con if it's available is, is the Genesis Core Rules. Okay. Even those people in my current role playing group who hate that system, you know, I don't know why. I think it's actually. I think narrative. I think that other than the fact that it's not normal dice, I think the narrative dice system is actually a really nice. I've got no system. problem with the system. Yeah. I've got no problem with the system at all. Um, I've got problems with special dice just because they're annoying. Yeah. To be honest, I find it a little bit annoying, but it's a well done system. It works. It definitely works. Um, and you get some some good results can be a little bit tricky sometimes going okay well so how can this work but still give problems as well yeah but nothing impossible i always like to see what's uh, happening with catalyst game labs so with with battletech and with shadowrun obviously as well yeah still involved in the in the battletech beta for the new computer game as well so that's is it been, dreadful oh uh, there's not much to it right now you know in terms of it, it does what it says on the tin but i'm looking forward to the single player campaign yeah you know, with sort of like a campaign and team management sort of stuff, you know. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm going for. Um, but no, I mean, I, I'm wondering now. So I've observed on the show in the past that when I go into a gaming store these days, you'll always see D&D. You'll always see Pathfinder. Um, and for a long while, you, you would always see the FFG, 40K and Star Wars lines. Yeah. You know, um, some gaming stores carry a bit of Shadowrun. They might carry a bit of Call of Cthulhu. But realistically speaking, the days of... At least in Australia, brick and mortar stores stocking every single role playing light. Like no, I remember the, the the store I used to go into in the city in Sydney all the time was upstairs was all role playing and it was like you know a whatever light. you wanted. Yeah, it was it was all there, all it, sorted by system as such. And you know, I go into the current game store chain, which is Good Game here, and they've got basically D and D, Pathfinder. Um, and that's you know, and maybe a couple of other systems like Numenera and sort of stuff. Realistically, you get. Pathfinder D and D, and whatever the store owner or runner likes is, themselves yeah. personally. 
So part of me wonders. I don't know how FFG sold, but I, I can imagine they might have had some deal with stores. If, if you know, if you want access to FFG board games, you have to buy some of the FFG RPG licenses as well, RPG products. Yeah. Which may have been one of the reasons that we saw a lot of stocking of those FFG 40k and Star Wars lines. Yeah. I'll be interested to see whether Ulysses Games has the clout to deliver the same sorts of outcomes with Wrath and Glory. Yeah, as my, to whether or not they'll see that become a popular game setting or game system as such. Yeah, I, I'm always concerned nowadays that some books are only going to be available on PDF. Yeah. Or it's going to be particularly difficult to get them as physical copies in this country. You know, having to order them from overseas. But it's just part and parcel of the way it is now, I suppose. Yeah, that's it. I think what we need to do between now and the next episode is do some more research on Ulysses Games' current, you know, like... What, what they release, how they release it, what the quality is like, what the time frames are like, um, and go from there now. I said, the only, only product I'm really familiar with is Torg, which I think is, they're not really releasing new content for it, it's really just... Okay, the... well, well pe- people out there, yep. have a look at what the games they release, pick one, let us know on Facebook, yep. we'll grab it, and we'll have a look at it. Yep. And then we'll, we'll talk about, you know, everything from the quality of the print and the content to the system itself and whether it's a well-written system. It's a good idea. I, I wonder that I haven't necessarily seen a lot of Ulysses Games books in role-playing stores, so... Uh, it'd be, diffi- might, it'd be difficult for quality. Like print-on-demand, for example. You yeah, know, it so. may end up being a print-on-demand job, but we can do that. Yeah. I, I'm happy to... We're going to play, play some Torg, I mean, Mike, just to, you know, revitalise... <laughs> just to find out what it's an, like. An old, an old 80s gaming system from... Yeah. You know, well, from we our... could do. We could do. I mean, it depends which game the people pick and... <laughs> Whether we can get it, but we'll certainly do our best. Yeah, no, we'll have a look, certainly. But the fact that if we can't get it, that's going to certainly say something as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I have the feeling that um, Games Workshop doesn't just give away the license. So no. I imagine that probably Ulysses has committed quite a bit of funds to this development. Well, I, and... I think it's the case like anything when you're selling the license. You're not going to sell it to a dead end. You want to actually make money off of the license. Yeah. The license is a... You know, revenue stream as well. Sure, someone might just buy the license and just sit on it and not produce anything from that license, but it'd be a stupid move. Yeah, okay. You'd yeah. want to make sure that whoever you're selling it to has the means to produce a product. Yeah. Final question for you, Mike. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the fact that uh, Roth and Glory is set in the 8th edition setting is going to help to make it feel quite different from the FFG 40k lines? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just quite a different setting. Um, Especially given, I think, that in their FAQs, they specifically call out the unique elements of the... Of the 8th edition, edition setting. Capture, so. Plus, it's the fact that all the fluff in there... Oh, sorry. Not all the fluff. A lot of the fluff that they're going to be producing is going to be new. Stuff yeah. that we haven't seen before. Which is going to be interesting. It's certainly going to, you know, make some good reads. It's going to make it a little bit more difficult for them because they can't just steal fluff from previous books. And just recycle it. Yeah. You know, as long as they do a better copy and paste job than some previous uh, people. Yep. But, um, yeah. Okay, no worries. I think we probably speculated all we can. Uh, yeah. I think we'll know a lot more after Saturday. I hope we know a lot more after Saturday. Oh, I hope we know a lot um, more after Saturday. Yeah, and which we'll be covering. And, and uh, you might find me with another show in relatively short order. I'm, I'm traveling week after next. But we'll see how we go um, in terms of uh, getting more information and getting it to you. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to closing out the show. Okay. All aspects of the 
Podcast. We've had some wire chamber message incoming. So at this point in the show, we normally do a bit of a run through of any sort of feedback or comments that we've received. And Mike has pointed out, I do need to apologize to everybody as well that uh, uh, if you haven't picked up my voice, I'm pretty sick at the moment. Yes. A- and I imagine that probably next week, Mike will be sick from having spent so much time with me while recording this podcast. Um, but yeah, uh, it, I've done my best to edit out all of the coughs and sneezes and spluttering. And uh, yeah, so it's been a bit of a rough, rough show to record. But yeah, we had to do it. Yeah, there's key news going on. So any case, um, we didn't get sort of any direct contact in terms of messaging or, or reviews. But what we did get was a huge response to our posting about the Ulysses announcement. Yep. So actually, Mike was diligent. Mike was the one that saw it first, and he posted it onto our Facebook page. And that's actually um, generated a huge amount of response. I, I actually threw 20 bucks at Facebook to to boost the post. Yep. And uh, yeah, I think we, we got significant new members on the Facebook page. And uh, so if you're listening to it, the show for the first time, then you know, welcome. Yep. Uh, please also go back and check out our back catalogue because we've done a lot of work to get to episode 85, and so we don't want that work to be wasted. Yeah. Um, I'm actually already starting to prepare for episode 100. I've got some big plans for episode 100. So Ooh, big plans. That's it. Yeah, still 15, 15 episodes away, though. So, yeah, that's loads of time. Don't, don't, want to, don't want to make a big deal about it just yet. Um, but no, so certainly we do always welcome feedback. If you do want to contact us for any reason to provide feedback or whatever, uh, you can do it through many ways. You can... Let's just see, I've got my, I haven't got my notes here like I normally do, so I'm going to remember this. Okay, our webpage is www.grimdartpodcast.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash grimdartpodcast. Our Google Plus page is google.com slash plus sign grimdartpodcast. Uh, sorry, it's plus.google.com, I think, isn't it? For plus. Plus.google.com, yeah. Yeah, so it's plus sign grimdartpodcast. Uh, we tweet through at grimdartpodcast, and you can email us at show at grimdartpodcast.com. Yeah. So many ways to contact us. Uh, we will, <clears throat> next episode, so 86 would normally be a Dark Heresy episode. So, I don't know, I mean, now that we know this game system is coming out, are we going to keep, keep talking about the old game systems, or, I think it's, we're going to have a hard time to fill, you know, an hour, an hour and a half show every two weeks if the game system's not coming out until, you know, the middle of, middle of 2018, for example, oh, so. I think we'll be able to make a better decision once we see what comes out on Saturday. Yeah, that's true. We'll, we'll yeah. have a look so, at that. So you might find our next episode really is just talking more about the announcements from, Plus, uh, from 40k Ulysses. in general. Yeah, that's true. We do talk about 40k, you know, we are doing a lot more of the war game now, so. Yeah. Yeah, I think that should hopefully keep more, people more entertained. More setting and fluff talks, I suppose. That's it, yeah. So I really can't tell you what's going to be episode 86 yet. You'll have to wait and see. Yep. We do hope you'll join us next time. Thank you very much for listening. Mike, thank you for putting up with my sickness as well to also take part. And, oh, it's uh, okay. I've got plenty of sick days saved up. Yeah, I feel sorry for you and your partner going forward about having to sort of deal with what I've got. But, the uh, lurgy. That's yep. it. People have been hospitalized in Sydney by this, by this you know. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Th- right. Thank yeah, you for telling right. me yeah, now right. yeah, exactly. after I've spent an hour in a room with you. That's what mates do. That's, yeah. it. that's it. All right, well, we'll catch you next time. Okay. This podcast is not endorsed by or affiliated with Games Workshop or Fantasy Flight Games. Warhammer 40,000, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, Only War, Eternal Crusade, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited. Fantasy Flight Games is a trademark of Fantasy Flight Publishing Inc. All other materials are trademark and or copyright of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grimdark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music comes from Mibio's Musicali, music.mibio.com.